0: What's up, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can help this show to grow, while also getting access to our exclusive Pride content, which includes shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, special interviews, Lions of Liberty roundtables, and much, much more. So check that out. Help us grow at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support.
1: And when I'm speaking to them, they're giving me a standing ovation for ending the war on drugs. They're giving me a standing ovation for you know just wanting to change the way the the whole process is. You would expect that in a libertarian room with a libertarian message, but I guess people are just ready for something different. Welcome
0: to the Lines of Liberty podcast. Here's your host. Hey, 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 what's up to all the ferocious... Felines of liberty out there. Not all of you have graduated to full lions yet. You know that's why you're listening to this program, so we can show you how to really roar for liberty, or at least you know have a good conversation, get the ideas flowing, and that sort of thing. That is what we do here. We focus on the conversation about the ideas of liberty, not necessarily shoving it down your throat. You know, sometimes when you have guys like my friend Roger Paxton on the show, he might try to shove it down your throat. No, I tease. Roger's a great guy. We had a blast hanging out with him on Libertarians in Living Rooms drinking liquor last week. If you missed that, I highly recommend clicking back in your podcast feed to episode 338. That was a Hell of a good time, and of course, we'll be seeing Roger in person at Porkfest. We are getting very, very, very close to our $1,000 a month goal. You can, of course, help by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride for as little as $5 a month, one less beer, one less latte. You can help send us to Porkfest, where we plan to do a number of special podcasts. Um, I will also announce in a little bit shorter term, uh, we are going to be doing a meetup here in Los Angeles, a lot of you have heard about this, but as many of you know, Jason Stapleton, good friend of the show, he's been on a couple times uh, has moved to Los Angeles, so he actually lives uh, not too far from me and Brian McWilliams. We got to hang out with him last week, uh, had a great time, and... Um Dave Smith, who many of you are also familiar with. Many of you are fans of his program, Part of the Problem. Many of you even found this show through our advertisements on his program, and uh, he's actually going to be out here with the Legion of Skanks doing a comedy show. That's right. For those of you who do not know, Dave is also on a podcast called Legion of Skanks. That's right, and it's as uh, ridiculous and hilarious as it sounds. But uh, he's going to be out here for a show at the end of March, so we're all going to have a meetup. For any fans of our podcast that wants to come meet up with us, it's going to be at a a very ironic location. Um, It's called the State Social House on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. So if you want to find out more about that, just be sure to find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. You got to join our Lions of Liberty forum. If you're not on there, just type Lions of Liberty forum. That's our public group where you get to interact with us and you know learn more about what's going on with us and learn about events such as like this one that we're putting on. And we are working out the details, but we're hoping to record a live, uh, maybe libertarians in living rooms, drinking liquor style show right there on the scene with myself, with Brian McWilliams, who will be in attendance, Jason Stapleton, Dave Smith. It's going to be a hell of a great time. So if you anywhere near the Los Angeles area, or heck, LA is beautiful in March. If you just want a a vacation and a good excuse to take a little trip, I highly recommend coming out. It should be a really fun time, and it's always great to meet people in person who are are fans of the program. And it's great to uh, you know have this group of podcasters that are sort of uh, in synergy in in the same place at the same time. So really looking forward to that event. That's going to be taking place on March thirty first. The State Social House in Los Angeles. There is an event link. Again, you can find this by going to our our Facebook page, by going to Twitter. We have been blasting it out all over the place. If you have any trouble finding it, just feel free to toss me an email, markmarclionsofliberty.com. But enough about that. I know not all of you are able to get to something uh, in Los Angeles, but hopefully some of you can, and hopefully more of you can meet us at Pork Fest, where we're going to be also doing some live podcasts and hanging out with some good friends, uh, hoping to see Johnny Rocket Adams of the Johnny Rocket Launchpad there, as well as Chris Spangle of We Are Libertarians, the entire League of Liberty will hopefully be in attendance. So we're really looking forward to that. And this is all. All of this is made possible through your donations. Of course, you can not only join the Lions of Liberty Pride to get access to all of our exclusive bonus content that Brian mentioned at the top of the show there... But you can also uh, make a one-time donation to us via PayPal. There's a link right on our homepage at lionsofliberty.com. Or you can also donate uh, via a number of different cryptocurrencies. You can find out about that by heading over to lionsofliberty.com donate. We've got a lot of exciting stuff in the works. And the more you guys are able to contribute and help us out, the more kind of great content we're going to be able to produce just for you. So that being said, let's get to some of that content with today's interview. All right. My guest today is a libertarian candidate for United States Senate out of the state of Pennsylvania. I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. Dale Kearns. Dale, are you ready to roar?
1: Indeed I am.
0: All right, Dale, and you know, we'll be talking about your uh, very interesting, I-, I believe, Senate campaign in just a minute. Uh, you know, My friend John Odermatt, our-, our colleague out there, is a big fan of what you're doing out there in Pennsylvania right now. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit better. So why don't you just start off by telling us how you first became interested in politics and libertarian ideas?
1: Politics is something that came to me, I guess, when I was in high school. Um, I was always interested in history, especially in the Political science aspect and learning about the different branches of government became very familiar with the Revolutionary War, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and I—I I really took a liking to that. And I think it was about seventh grade. And I remember when I was younger, I was in a small town, and I would see signs around my neighborhood of people who were running for office, and I was like, "Oh, I know these people. You know, that's that's Mister So and So, <laughs> and you know, I, I recognize those guys." It, they can run for office? Like, who do they think they are? So now I'm running for U.S. Senate, and who do I think I am?
0: (laughs) (laughs) must have been a pretty small town, because I know out here in Los Angeles, you see a name of someone running for office, and you definitely haven't met them, most likely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was a very small town, and actually, I became borough councilman in my town for a brief period of time, took over an expired term, or a a resigned term, I should say. So I took over uh, someone's seat for a short period of time. But really – what really centered me in and really got me interested in wanting to wake up was the Ron Paul campaign in 2008. When I saw him speak in 2007, he spoke to me and he spoke my language. And Before that, I never really felt like I fit in on the Democrat side or the Republican side and had no clue you know, who I was or where I was until I heard him talking about liberty and just talking about ending the war on drugs, not policing the world and, you know, minding our own business. When I heard him speak, that's what kind of brought everything, all my different interests from all over the spectrum into play. And that was actually the first time I found out what a libertarian was. And I actually was surprised to hear that Ron Paul was a formal, a former libertarian because I had no idea what that was. I had no clue. I said, what's that, a liberal? Like, what? Wh- what is a libertarian? So, he actually introduced me to the Libertarian Party.
0: There's that name again. Uh, once again, Ron Paul seems to come up with almost every single guest I bring on the show, one way or another. He really did in so many ways seem to not only educate a lot of people that might have, you know, not not had a political home like yourself. You didn't really feel like you fit uh, with the Democrats or the Republicans. But uh, I think more so than that, he really seemed to energize people. I mean, I, I I had started to consider myself a Libertarian prior to the Ron Paul campaign. I had been reading some of his columns, and I also became familiar with the work of Harry Brown, but it was his actual campaign and seeing him on that debate space stage just speaking truthfully and being so passionate about what he was saying that it was really that energy that inspired me to begin speaking out a lot more politically and eventually led to this podcast. So uh, for you, it sounds like a, a bit of a similar story, only you, it kind of steered you to go uh, more into the political realm.
1: Yeah, and I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. It was the truthfulness. It was never changing your message, always having that same message no matter what the times were. I mean, I remember him talking with uh, Rudy Giuliani, and he was very unpopular when Rudy tried to make it seem as if he was saying we blamed ourselves for 9-11 when he brought up blowback. Rudy Giuliani tried to spin it around. He, he gave him some reading lessons. And there were some great moments during the 2008 and also the 2012 run that I just, I just really learned a lot, and it was mostly because he was always true.
0: What made you decide to take the political route? I mean, you know, a lot of people get inspired and, and take many different routes to communicating with people, and even within that, you know, there, there's a bit of a divide. I'd say in the uh, the political wing of the Liberty Movement, some people think you should work within the major party systems to actually try to, I guess, gain the uh, the seat of power or what have you, and others believe you should really stay away from there and take the uh, the more principled route and and stick with a third party and and really just try to to build that movement that way. So why did you end up steering yourself not only politically but within the the, uh, libertarian party
1: well i did i did start out in the republican party from the time i was registered to vote i was a republican Uh until uh about 2015 or 2016 and i thought you know the the republican party was the way to go and you can work within the party because it's a two-party system and it just seemed like it made sense to me so i was a republican councilman Uh, i was a candidate for delegate to the Republican National Convention. And I, I worked on a few different Republican campaigns. I actually worked on a 2012 Republican campaign for someone who was running for U.S. Senate against Bob Casey, who I'm running against now. And somewhere along the way, I saw the way the Republican committee in 2012 changed the rules to keep Ron Paul out of the convention. And then I saw the way the Democratic committee did it in I think it was 16, to keep Bernie Sanders out of the process. And then in 2016, they were doing it to uh, Donald Trump. They were talking about changing the rules. Even though he was winning in all the primaries, they were talking about changing the rules so that he couldn't be the nominee. Now, they never did that. Um, I think it would have been very detrimental and probably would have ended the Republican Party right then and there. But just seeing that all along the way and all the corruption within Pennsylvania and the way the Republican Party operates and the way that Republicans aren't really fiscally conservative, and Democrats aren't really for civil rights. It just – I said, you know what? There has to be another way, and the Libertarian Party speaks to, to my issues a lot more than anybody else, and they're always true, just like the Ron Paul that I that introduced me to the party. So I pledged to go work with the Libertarian Party change my uh, registration and never look back. And the day I changed my registration and I got that card in mail, I really just felt like I was free, free of that two-party system. And I've pledged to, to work within the Libertarian Party and try and make it work. And I had no intentions when I changed my registration to even run for U.S. Senate. Uh, that came along after working in the Libertarian Party for about a year and meeting a lot of the people and and seeing that it was time. It was time to work in the Libertarian Party. It was time to run as a candidate and try and lead by example and show people that we need candidates. We need more candidates who are running serious campaigns, raising money, getting an infrastructure in place, and just exciting the next generation of Libertarians to run. And that's what we really need to do. We need more people who are running and that can inspire others to run.
0: So it seems like while you might have thought at first that it might be more pragmatic to work within the Republican party, work within, you know, a party that actually has a foothold, has uh, voting rights altogether and, and all of the benefits that go along with that. But, uh, maybe at some point along the way, you realize if you're actually going to be principled and actually stick to the things that matter to you and not just fit into that cookie cutter mold, you were going to have to either change yourself, change who you are, uh, to work within that system. And uh, I, I imagine that was just unacceptable for you.
1: Yeah, that's completely unacceptable, but there's also another dynamic to that. As libertarians, we don't agree with the use of force. And if we're going into a political party to force our ideals on someone else, there's always going to be blowback. And that blowback is changing the rules, that blowback's keeping us out of the process, that blowback's making you, you know, give in on a couple different issues like ending the Fed or like a budget and then they'll say, OK, well, we'll vote and the Fed through, through Congress this year, knowing that it's not going to pass the Senate or knowing that the president's not going to sign it. So when we sit there and compromise and we don't get anything in return, I mean, that's that's the blowback that comes from forcing our way through the Republican Party. We're, we're never going to to make any uh, friends there, or take the party over. It's just not going to happen. The, the way I think we need to do it is in the Libertarian Party.
0: It's an interesting point, you know, about how politics works, because you know how many times did Republicans, you know, have a chance to put forward? Le- or I'm sorry, how many times did Republicans not really have a chance to, to put forward? Say, and the Fed legislation that would actually pass uh, when, say, Obama was in in power and when and Democrats had more of a majority at that point, you saw a ton of audit the Fed bills, edit the Fed bills. That stuff got a ton of traction when it didn't matter. You know, when there was no chance of it actually going through. So it's obviously just a bit of a political show. Now here we are where the Republicans can control Congress, the Republicans can control the Senate, the Republicans control the presidency. You don't hear a peep about this stuff anymore.
1: No, not a peep.
0: Amazing. So I imagine once you switched over to the Libertarian Party, as you mentioned, you felt a lot more freer. Did you just feel like a, a burden lifted off your shoulders when you began to go to Libertarian Party meetings? Uh, did you did you find yourself being able to speak even more boldly, more openly, and honestly about about what you really wanted to do through the political process, and you know what your beliefs really are?
1: No, I well, not really, because I never really had a problem speaking about right. it before it just it was more accepted and you walk into a room and there are a bunch of people that are like-minded and they're all like-minded. Now you have your different uh, quarrels within the libertarian party, you know, some people aren't libertarian enough for others and vice versa. I've heard but, a l-
0: little bit of that in my day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. But, you know, it's it's not the same as being libertarian in a room full of democrats or being libertarian in a full room full of republicans. And what I've also found though now that I'm going out on the campaign trail, I'm speaking mostly to people that aren't libertarian. And when I'm speaking to them, they're giving me a standing ovation for ending the war on drugs. They're giving me a standing ovation for, you know, just wanting to change the way the the th- the whole process is. And it's it's amazing because you would expect that in a libertarian room with a libertarian message, but I guess people are just ready for something different.
0: Well, that that's amazing because I think that's that's one of the most important things that a third party campaign should be for a Libertarian Party campaign. It should be for speaking to other Libertarians, not just showing up at party meetings and giving rah-rah speeches to other Libertarian groups. That stuff's important and necessary, you know, as part of the process. But the the entire purpose of, of the, the political uh, method, to me, is to change the way people think. Change people that already either think like they're more Democrats or more Republicans, or people like you used to be where you just felt politically lost to get those people energized, get them interested in the ideas and get them excited. So what's really been working out there for you in that regard? How are you reaching people that aren't necessarily libertarians or are decidedly not libertarians and what kind of messages are connecting with them?
1: Well, I think it's important that you understand that everybody's a person and there's a different way to connect with each person and it you, ha- you have to find those ways. You, you don't walk into – a room, room full of people that are for Social Security and yell, let's end Social Security. You have to find an issue that you can actually relate to them on and talk to them about that issue. And When they understand that you agree on an issue, but you explain to them why you agree and why the libertarian message is just a slightly different message than they have, then you can find those ways to re- relate and correlate that with, say, ending Social security or privatizing Social Security. And you just have to find those messages. One particular area that really works for me, I've written a bill called Addiction's Not a Crime. And this bill ends the war on drugs. And historically, libertarians have failed with this message. Uh, we've ran into a room and said, uh, let's let's legalize all drugs, or you know, people just need to mind their own business. We we have arguments that haven't really worked over the years. But really you have to understand that people care and they need to know that we care too just because we have a certain message that that some people don't agree with doesn't mean we don't care so you have to let them know you care and i can relate to a lot of people because i've lost loved ones to the war on drugs i've lost people to overdoses i lost my mother i've lost my cousin sister in law countless friends and family members so when you actually talk to them about the issues and they know that you're coming from the same place that they've come from They start to listen to you, and by telling them, my bill is about treatment over incarceration, then they start to listen. They're like, okay, that makes sense. People should be treated. They shouldn't be incarcerated, and it's just about finding that message, that, that fine line to where people can agree.
0: Yeah, that has been a major focus of your campaign. I know you have the bill that you've put forward as well as the uh, the Addiction is Not a Crime tour that you've been going on. You've been going around to different groups and speaking to them. I, I think that's a really a very smart campaign, first of all, a smart strategy, because you're you're finding people that have problems, and, or have family members that have problems. So many people have been affected by the war on drugs, whether it's the enforcement angle, people that have loved ones who have been uh, wrapped up into, you know, have been sent to prison for really just selling a little bit of weed or something like that, and had their lives completely ruined because of just one mistake they made when they were younger, or people that were directly affected, like like people in your life who actually died of overdoses, and, and that sort of thing. I mean, uh, I think the fact that you've been through a lot of these tragedies yourself, that must really help you connect with other people, not even on the political level at first. I'm sure at first it's oftentimes just that emotional level that, you know, look, I've been there. I understand where you're coming from, and here are my solutions. Here are the reasons that I feel the libertarian route is what's going to help you. So are you finding that's the way you're connecting with people at first that, that gets them to later open up to the political message by connecting with them on that deeper emotional level?
1: Yeah, and it, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier about about truth and people feel that they can believe you and they feel that they can trust you. Some people reach out to me offline and tell me, you know, I need help. Do you know someone that can help me? People reach out to me at all hours of the night and I try to put them in touch with different people, people that are looking for recovery. The, uh, one lady reached out to me. She's been – she's been on heroin for a couple of years now and she just can't find the help she needs so i've looked for resources for her in certain areas and hooked her up with con- connections of people that i know and you know there's countless other people too just not even during my campaign but over the last few years where i just i just find the right people for them and they know that you care and people talk it's a it's a community really so people in the community talk and they 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 vouch for you
0: how much of the problem that people have that who do have addictions say with heroin or that kind of thing, and the difficulty that they end up, you know, having finding a lot of the help they need, how much of that can we actually attribute to the war on drugs itself, to the fact that these drugs are criminalized and they're treated like you know as a criminal matter as opposed to a, a healthcare matter?
1: Well, I don't know that you can really quantify it like that, but I, I'd say virtually all of it. Seventy-five uh, percent of those who become addicted to heroin, it's, it's said that they were once prescribed pain pills. Uh, so right there, we're prescribing them pain pills. They're not able to be prescribed something else like, like let's say, marijuana or an, another type of drug that the FDA doesn't want, want to approve. They put these drugs on a, on a list, a Schedule 1 list, and they don't allow doctors to treat people. So that, that's actually kind of where part of my bill is, if we free the markets and we get the government out of the way, well, then, then doctors can treat the patients any way that they'd like. Tried and true methods. Places like Portugal and Switzerland have already solved this problem where they're putting patients first rather than calling them uh, criminals. So they've completely revamped their country over the last decade or more. And if we take that role and follow their footsteps because we're, we're, we're one of the greatest nations out there. But, you know, There's no doubt about that. But we're behind in a couple things. We're behind in education. We're behind in our criminal justice system. And we're behind in the war on drugs. And they, they all relate. We don't educate people enough to pick up on the signs of addiction. We don't educate people enough in the healthcare industry to pick up on these signs or to actually treat people. And the same thing in the criminal justice system, our prison guards – They're not able to treat people as patients. In fact, they're oftentimes neglected or they don't receive treatment at all. And then when they are released from prison, they don't have the tools they need to cope. So they either find themselves back in prison or they find themselves in and out of rehab or even worse, they find themselves dead. And it's it's really a revolving door. It's really, really sad.
0: Now, this bill that you've drawn up, this addiction is not a crime bill, is this designed as like something you could propose as a United States senator on the national level, or, or is this more like a state-specific thing? Can you get into the, the details of that bill a little bit more? Yeah,
1: well, it, we could we would introduce it on a federal level, but we really need to tackle this thing at home. There are just some things at the federal level that keep us from doing anything at a state level. Like You can go and legalize marijuana like other states have done but you're still going to have the blowback of the federal federal government. I mean, you have people right now that in Pennsylvania you can't get a permit to carry if you have a medical marijuana card. So there are a lot of different issues that we have to take care of from a federal level like I think mm-hmm. we need to end for profit prisons. I think we need to end mandatory minimum sentences, end the war on drugs and just open up the markets so that we have competition, innovation, solving this problem because that's really the only way you can solve this problem is through the free market.
0: So is that actually one reason that you decided to run for federal office for the United States Senate because you saw the seriousness of this issue and how even though we need to battle it on the state level in many ways, that battle is going to really be hindered as long as that war on drugs continues at the federal level? Is that why you decided to run for such a high office?
1: Yes, that's exactly why. I think think there are a lot of issues at a federal level that we just really need to Release back to the states or back to the people because the federal government just just walks all over our liberties every single day. Whether it's the war on drugs, whether it's the war on terror, spying on American citizens without a warrant, civil assets for, forfeiture, there, there are just countless – ways that the federal government intrudes on our lives. And we need to we need to cut all these things out of the federal government. Hey, guys, this is
0: Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests and talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at JohnnyRocketLaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at JohnnyRocketLaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. Dale, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the specifics of this Senate race? I know um, you're battling, a, a, obviously, a Republican and a Democrat. Bob Casey, I believe, is is the incumbent. So, who are the who's the other person in the race? And then, you know, what is your strategy? Because as we know, I've interviewed many third party candidates, and the biggest battle is just getting recognized, getting even mentioned in an article about the campaign or invited to a debate. How are you able to tackle this uh, within a race where you have two people who are supported by the Mainstream by uh, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party.
1: Oh well, that's actually a great question. Right now, Bob Casey's the incumbent, but there is a primary mm-hmm. that still has to happen in May between the Democrats and the Republicans. They have to figure out who their candidate's going to be. There are quite a few Republicans that are running right now. I think Bob Casey only has one or two declared candidates against him, but I'm not focusing on. The, the specific candidates right now, I have to wait until after the primary. And my strategy, really, we we've been getting a lot of media attention. We got media attention for ballot access. We got media attention. We were actually labeled as being a threat and one of three candidates in Pennsylvania. They said it's a three way race. Here's Lou Barletta from. The Republicans, Bob Casey of the Democrats and Dale Kearns, Libertarian. These are the, these are the three front runners who are running and they'll be on the November ballot. Now that wasn't entirely correct, but that's, you know, just an example that we're getting. We're getting media, and we're we're never getting enough media. There's always going to be an article where we're not mentioned because that's just what the media does. And sometimes they'll give you a a big piece about the Republicans and Democrats and say, oh, well, Dale Kearns is also running. But for the most part, if you go search – do a Google search for my name, click on news articles, you'll see a a ton of articles out there. And we also have some uh, videos that we've put up on Facebook and Twitter, and we're – we're getting noticed. So we're raising money. I'm one of the few people to register with the FEC as a Libertarian Senate candidate since I think about 2010. It's as far back as you can search. So we're making moves and we're we're showing everybody that libertarians can run a campaign. So far, we've raised $15,000 to date. It's a little bit early in the campaign. We have, uh, like I said, the convention this coming weekend. So it's all uphill after this.
0: Dale, just for a moment, I want you to sort of uh, close your eyes. You don't have to. It's okay if you don't. I won't be able to tell anyway. But uh, I want you to imagine if you wake up the day after that election and you you have pulled off the miracle, you have become the very first libertarian Big L senator in the United States history. Obviously, we know one of the first things you're going to do is introduce that addiction is not a crime bill. But what are some other areas that you see of high importance on the federal level that you could directly affect as a United States senator? What other sort of actions would you be looking to take, uh, bills you would introduce, and that sort of thing?
1: Well, if I wake up the day after and find out I won, um, am I allowed to take a nap that first day?
0: I think you would have earned a nap at that point, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'd like, to, I'd like to really start supporting the troops. People always talk about so- supporting the troops, but what does that really mean? To me, it means we're bringing war powers back to Congress instead of the executive branch. So we need to make sure that we're going to war, we have a plan, and Congress is declaring war, not the executive branch. We can't afford to borrow money from China just to fund wars around the world. So we need to stop policing the world and start bringing our troops home. We've been in Afghanistan for nearly 20 years. We got Osama bin Laden. What are we doing there? I mean, is there a need to be there other than protecting the poppy fields? I think it's time we come home, and I think it's time we start taking a look at how we treat our troops when we bring them home as well. We stuff them in VA hospitals that are overcrowded, underfunded, don't exactly have the care they need. So if we're going to send these these individuals off to war and they're going to be fighting for our freedoms, we need to start treating them better. And I'd like to get rid of VA hospitals altogether because, it I mean, they're virtually – they're, they're, they're like cesspools when it comes to health care. The federal government can't do anything right. So I think it's time we end the, the VAs and let let these soldiers be able to go find treatment elsewhere. And let's just – like I said, let's bring the troops home. I'm for monetary reform. I would like to fight for transparency by auditing the Federal Reserve and ultimately phasing it out, allowing for uh, – for monetary reform, letting people have gold and silver and crypto. And by by doing that, we're going to have to uh, end the legal tender laws. Taxing and regulation reform. I'd sign the Americans for Tax Reform pledge. I will never vote for a single tax increase. I will never vote for a single regulation increase. But we also have to roll those back. There, we have far too many taxes and regulations in this Country, you heard that I'd like to end the opioid epidemic by ending the war on drugs and getting my bill in there. Addiction's not a crime.
0: Kind of the opposite of the uh, the Donald Trump Jeff Sessions solution of uh, executing uh, drug dealers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're they're just out of their mind Uh, to think that you're going to get rid of a drug dealer by executing him, putting him in prison. And no one else is going to fill that void. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, you have to actually get to the root cause of the problem. And that's, that's really with all these issues, we never get to the root cause because lobbyists are handing money to politicians to do their bidding. Lobbyists are writing the bills and these politicians want to be reelected. They want pensions. They want to be in Washington DC. So we need to, we need to get them out of there. And I think one of the ways we can do that is get rid of political pensions. And I know that's a much harder. To do than said because they're not going to vote for their own pensions to, to uh, be taken away. But we need to get rid of those. They're, they're unconstitutional. They they shouldn't be allowed to happen. And I think that's part of the reason why we have the constant 30-year U.S. senators and 30-year congressmen. We just need we need to end that. I'm not for term limits, but I'm for term limits by eliminating the pension.
0: Uh, Dale, I guess the, 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 my final question that sort of begs the, the question, you know, say so many people end up going to Washington and getting co-opted by the system, corrupted by the system. What's what's different about you, Dale? What's what's going to prevent someone like you from slowly getting corrupted, slowly uh, you know, becoming under the influence of certain lobbyists? Maybe a, a few people will get in your ear and tell you how great that pension really is. I mean, why do you think you would be able to resist uh, what so many people seem to fall under the influence of, uh, not to coin a phrase from Donald Trump, but uh, the swamp. So to speak what would prevent you from becoming a part of it
1: well that's a very good question i've proposed that i've promised that i will not accept the pension i will not accept the health care and i will not run for a second term if elected i think that the problem in washington dc is that nobody's there to get a job done they're all there to be reelected. so i'm going to go there i'm going to look to get a job done and stick to that that focus it's get our job done and go home um, i have two Young girls, a two year old and a three year old. So, a six year term is a long time to be away from them. Granted, I'm not too far. I'm in the Philadelphia area. So, going down to Washington, D.C., it's to me, it's a big sacrifice. I honestly do not have any desire to be a politician living in Washington, D.C. and babysitting all these babies that are down there, uh, arguing and bickering. I have no desire to be there. I think a six year sacrifice is something that I propose to do and I will do. But I honestly just don't want to be
0: there at all. Well, Dale, I think uh, you know a lot of your talking points, especially obviously your stance on the war on drugs, foreign policy, this is all stuff that a lot of listeners of the show are certainly going to find interesting and are certainly hopefully going to be uh, inspired to look further into your campaign. So before I let you go, why don't I just give you the chance to let them know exactly how they can do just that, where they can find more information about your campaign or if they're in Pennsylvania or even not, how they can help out your campaign.
1: Anybody who would like to volunteer for my campaign or donate to the campaign, you don't have to be from Pennsylvania. You can be from anywhere in the country, and you can go to dalekearns.com to find out more information. All
0: right. Well, Dale Kearns, we will certainly uh, be in touch and be keeping an eye on your campaign. Uh, Best of luck and uh, keep on roaring.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dale Kearns. I'm a huge fan of Dale Kearns' campaign. Focusing on this addiction is not a crime issue and the overall issue of the war on drugs and the criminal justice system. Of course, you can listen to our own John Odermatt discuss these very same issues every single Friday on Felony Friday. That's right. It's not just me here every Monday with interviews and roundtables. I also have my other Lions of Liberty co-founders and compatriots in Liberty. So be sure to check out Felony Friday on Fridays, and of course, this coming Wednesday, and every Wednesday, you've got Brian McWilliams ranting away every single week on Electric Liberty Land, your weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty, so there is just so much fun to be had here, all you gotta do is hit that subscribe button, and it just keeps showing up, and showing up, and showing up for free, now, in addition to these free podcasts, of course, we do have our Lions of Liberty Pride, as I mentioned, we are aiming to hit that $1,000 a month level. We are already going to Porkfest. We bought our tickets, but now we need place to stay. We need to pay for housing. We need to pay for plane tickets. We need to pay for some new equipment. So we're set up to record podcasts uh, in a mobile setup. So there's still a lot we need, and uh, we're pushing for this Pride membership to help get us everything that we got to do. So please, please, please go and check out lionsofliberty.com support for all the information you need about joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. People are really, really loving our newest level. That's the $15 a month level where you get a daily email. Now, our man Howie Snowden, who had a pretty good show the other week. (laughs) As Pride members know, he was on our conspiracy corner. I won't say more than that, but let's just say it was pretty darn entertaining. We discussed, well, you wouldn't think this would be entertaining per se, but we discussed the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, along with Rico, our regular conspiracy researcher and contributor, and uh, we had a really good conversation, and uh, it turned into a really fun time. That's the the kind of things that we do in the Pride, they always turn into fun times, uh, regardless of how serious the topic is, but uh, just a boatload of Pride content has been pouring out Odie had an amazing bonus show just last week with his guest Salvatore de Janeiro Uh, you gotta check that out, some amazing information about guns and self defense, just must listen audio so for as little as five bucks a month you get access to all of that, for a little bit more you get ten bucks, you get a free t-shirt as well and a free beer koozie, fifteen bucks you get that plus that email, and then at the $25 level you get to be involved in our monthly conference call, which people are really enjoying as well, get to get a lot of feedback directly from some of our biggest contributors. Contributors. And we also have one more spot open right now at the $100 level where you get to run any ads of your choice once a week on this program. So we have two spots open for that. One of them is taken right now. He's actually, Jason Carrier is actually paying for ads for Dale Kearns. That's how he wanted to uh, use his slot. So, you know, there's, there's so much value you can get from the Pride depending on what, what you want to contribute. But either way, you're helping us grow and helping us spread the message of liberty. And for that, we are truly eternally thankful, even if you don't. Don't send us a dime. We are thankful because there would be no point in doing this. We would not have made it this far without all of our amazing listeners who hit that subscribe button, who keep coming back, who keep sharing the show. So thank you so much to every one of you out there doing that. Be sure to listen to all the great programming here on Lions of Liberty. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.